Hey, this is Mark. For the pharma industry, not unlike society as a whole, COVID marked a digital turning point. Before the pandemic, pharma was slowly working through the steps of its digital evolution. Marketers had grown comfortable with a certain cadence of drug launches. Yes, they were launching HCP and patient-facing websites, brand.coms, meded modules, and apps, but still baked firmly into the industry's culture was the tried-and-true way of promoting drugs. Real boots on the ground in the form of the sales rep, backed up by glossy sales aids and strong local connections. What happened next is a narrative with which we're all familiar. Suddenly, reps couldn't talk to doctors, and overnight, the decision was made at many biopharma companies to put all promotional assets online, and fast. Many people have referred to this point as the moment when pharma accelerated its digital transformation. But what really happened? A new study has us questioning the familiar narrative. The study found that a mere 4% of pharma's digital assets succeed, including the vast majority of launched since the spring of 2020. That, despite near-unanimous agreement among pharma marketers of the importance of digital assets to adding value to the HCP and patient by supporting the overall customer experience. I'm Mark Iskowitz, Editor-at-Large, and welcome to the MMM Podcast, medical marketing media's show about healthcare marketing writ large. This week on the podcast, the digital disconnect, why the pharma industry's pivot to digital resulted in a flood of failed digital product launches. I'll talk about that with my guests, John Hume, Commercial Director for Graphite, which conducted the study in association with Reuters Events, and Kimberly Coleman-Klotman, Head of U.S. Marketing for Nebriva Therapeutics. But first, some housekeeping items. This week is the final chance to submit entries for the MMM Awards. The final deadline is coming up Thursday, May 5th. For more information, go to mmm-awards.com. Also this week, join us the evening of May 4th in NYC for the second annual Pinnacle Awards, one of MMM's most prestigious achievement awards, which celebrates the medical marketing industry's most venerable marketers, strategists, and creators. The goal of the Pinnacle Awards is to honor and celebrate those who have made a significant impact on the health industry. Visit mmmpinnacleawards.com for tickets and information. And stick around the following day, May 5th in NYC for our venerable spring conference. MMM Transform, the full picture of health, is a full-day in-person event with one of the broadest programs in health marketing. From corporate wellness to the increased attention to mental health and from the emerging cannabis market to developments in digital health, MMM will bring together industry leaders to offer insight on wellness trends and the evolving patient journey. For more information and to register, go to www.mmmtransform.com and podcast listeners get 50% off with the code PODCAST50. And now back to our show. So I wrote about the extraordinarily high failure rate of pharma's digital products and the reasons behind it last week. And judging by the amount of traffic to the article, it's got a lot of people thinking. Kimberly Coleman-Clotten is a seasoned pharma marketer having worked at both large and small biopharma companies. She's also chair of the MMM Awards this year. Kim, vis-a-vis industry's pharma digital evolution, what was life like prior to COVID? In your introduction, you talked a lot about pharma doing things that were tried and true. And so I think prior to March, 2020, that was very much the case. That launches in particular, um, even though, you know, if you've done one launch, you've done one launch, which is saying we bandy about the office, that there are some tried and true techniques or truisms. And I think you saw in the launches that my company and other companies or in general, uh, employ. And a lot of those still relied heavily on a sales representative, even though there was um, a, I don't know if I'd say strong, but certainly a digital component to that. 
And, and talk about that moment when everything went digital. Part of what happened kind of initially was let's take every piece that we had given a sales rep, uh, mostly on paper, and let's make that digital. And so I think that that was the first, uh, the first reaction, uh, which isn't necessarily a great one, but it was kind of an easy thing to do. Okay, if we have a paper visually, let's make that digital. So we described the moment when it was clear no one was going to be returning to work, uh, that there was this big rush in pharma to take every single thing they had and make it digital. Why was that a culture shock for pharma? I mean, hadn't the industry been working toward digital transformation for years already? Many, many years, in fact, um, and lots of great work was being done. John Hume, commercial director for Graphite, which conducted the study in association with Reuters events. But I think that the real change was the speed that was required and also how many people were doing it. Suddenly there was this huge rush of both talent and um, investment towards the towards the sector. Um, and this traditional uh, model of having these big transformation projects that would rumble along for a number of years was almost forgotten overnight. And this big push towards this sort of instant digitization, even if I can say that properly, um, uh, for, for pharma was was huge. Um, also, the focus switched as well. I think there've been some really great work that have been done by both um, uh, pharma colleagues and their agencies to begin looking at um, true digital transformation projects. And overnight, that was forgotten. And the focus was delivery, delivery, delivery. We need this stuff online now. We need it right now. In fact, we needed it three weeks ago. Where is it? Um, and that is an obvious recipe for uh, a change in mindset and a change in the quality of the output as well. Sure, sure. And it kind of seems obvious, but why did that result in such a low success rate? I mean, it seems obvious in retrospect, but uh, I, think, I guess it wasn't obvious at that time. Yeah. I mean, at the time you can see that the temptation is to just to have that mindset of we've got to get this stuff online. You know, the reps aren't able to speak to anybody anymore. There's a, there's a, a real panic. Um, from our point of view and from the results that we've found from speaking to um, over 450 uh, of the respondents um, for the report, the, the big things that came up were a lack of strategy, lack of thinking about the why this work was being done and just to, to lead straight into it. Um, lots of work being done in silos, which is not a new problem for pharma, but I think it was exacerbated by, by the situation. Um, and then a lack of learning being shared between the teams. And, and this overall um, mindset uh, that we mentioned already around just getting things online being the finish line, that's not the finish line. That's actually day one of your project. And um, I think that's the the big the big switch. It's like, oh, we're relieved. We've got it online. We're going to move on to the next thing when really um, that is just the beginning um, and they should have had more focus on what was going to happen after that go live. Sure. And so speaking of that, how do you define the success of a digital asset? Um, well, my opinion, and I hope the opinion of my colleagues um, would be to say that it's something that creates value for the end user and for the customer. Um, and combined with how it performs for the business. And we tend to judge that based on a few different um, metrics, looking at um, the viability of it. So how, how can it um, last over time? Desirability, so how desirable is it to the, to the end customer? Um, and how feasible is it? Can you maintain it? Can you get it there in the first place? Can you even get it approved? Um, and so we, we tend to look at, um, at those factors in the beginning of a project. Um, we always would recommend working with KPIs, uh, working with uh, to create KPIs, making sure that you've got the metrics up front, because if you do that afterwards, then basically you're just patting yourself on the back and saying, look, we did the thing and it was good. 
um, and also to to measure that over time and continuously improve um, rather than taking a kind of this project approach where you do something once and then hope for the best um, and forget about it. I'd like to go back to Kimberly for a moment. Now, let's talk about how the study kind of rewrote the narrative a little bit. You told me, Kimberly, that you weren't too surprised by that 4% number. Why not? I think one thing that kind of harkening back to my comment around kind of the first thing, the easiest thing to do is to take assets that already exist um, on paper and turn them digital. Um, Part of the challenge then is in this new world order post-COVID, how does one move forward in a way that continues to engage the customer, knowing that um, customers, whether it's patients or HCPs, are as human as everyone else and that are also struggling through the pandemic, uh, especially on the HCP side, they're trying to keep their practices afloat. Patients are scared to go to physicians, and in many cases, depending on um, what they need to see a physician for, can't even get in to be seen. And so I think that there's a, a challenge uh, for us as an industry to figure out how do we cut through just really all the noise, all the clutter and life in order to be able to, to reach our audiences. And I think that we, uh, as an industry with the best of intentions, didn't really get to where we needed to be because it was too easy to fall back on kind of the easy things that we knew. And there's not necessarily a lot of expertise sitting within the pharma industry on how to be innovative in that space. So um, reading that a small number of launches were actually successful in the digital space uh, didn't surprise me at all. And and the narrative has been that the industry crammed years worth of innovation into a few months, that it basically sped up its digital transformation. But the study reveals the less than pleasant digital reality. They rushed all those assets online, and this was no overnight success. How do you think this uh, study will change how we look back at this period for pharma? Um, I think from a lessons learned perspective, we'll look back. Um, And maybe in the beginning, we started to congratulate ourselves on just activity versus being effective and productive at the same time. And so I think certainly one of the lessons learned is that pharma can actually do a lot uh, when we put our mind to it. I think the challenges are we really doing uh, when you go back and you look at how successful or the lack of success for uh, many launches Um, were we doing the right things and did we have the right skill set in-house? I find that, um, and again, in my own organization, we've been working on trying to transform our organization to being more digital first for years um, or certainly more than one. And so this idea that we'd be able to, as an industry, um, be poised to do what has taken some organizations um, years to be able to um, to accomplish and to do it in months and to be successful at that. Um, maybe a, a bit of hubris on our part. Now let's go back to John for a second. So the obstacles to curbing uh, the failure rate seem, seem pretty steep as well. If there's one thing that pharma companies can do right now to improve their success rate, what would you recommend? 
Oh, just one thing. I have a I have a short list, uh, but I think if it, if I was going to push me to just have one, it definitely would be validating assumptions early um, with customer research. Um, and that doesn't need to be big and scary and expensive. It can be done relatively inexpensively and quickly. Um, and actually making sure that you're building something that is going to be future-proof, um, really understand the customer need, not just what you think or what you heard from one of your colleagues or what was done in another market, but making sure um, that we have just enough research done to be able to um, actually really understand the needs of the customers and to for you to continue to be the voice of that customer inside your business based on your findings. Um, and we found that that's really useful for if you're receiving feedback from regulatory colleagues or other parts of the business, or you get pushback on an idea, having the customer research there really enables you to be able to stay kind of true to the vision of the product and make sure that you're keeping the customer at the center of everything you do. And actually being truly customer centric is really quite difficult. Um, and it's actually completely impossible if you never speak to your customer. So to be able to take those things forward and actually sort of arm yourself with that information and stay really true to the mission of what it is you're trying to achieve it is really important. You know, when I first saw the study, uh, the, the one thing I was struck by was the 4% number. And not only, you know, because it was low, but also because, and I think I didn't realize this at the time, but as I look back on it, I, I think I was surprised that, that the respondents were that honest with themselves. You know, we, we're, we're used to a lot of backslapping in the industry. Yeah, we, we're, we're digital now, you know, we, we're on the web. Um, but this was, you know, a, an, an admission um, that, that seems to be kind of rare for the industry. Um, but what, what do you think that that, that signals? I think there's two ways you can look at our findings. You can either be sad or you can look at it and think there's actually a huge amount of potential out there and a lot of self-awareness. And I didn't want to make the Alcoholics Anonymous uh, um, comparison, but that sort of, you have to admit that you've got a problem before you can do something about it thing. And I think there is a huge amount of hope that can be taken from the fact that I do believe the participants were quite honest in the, in the report and that what, um, was said in there reflects the experience of myself, a lot of my colleagues, a lot of our customers. Um, and so because of that, I'm kind of glad that people can admit that there is something that needs to change. Um, but I'm hopeful that they will because they've been able to admit that. And I think I'm, I'm my, my um, only thing that sticks in my mind based on our conversation and the really great article that you published is that um, there is hope. Um, and I, I know I would hope that people can look at this and use it as a tool to have really great conversations with you know, senior stakeholders and to get the support and funding that they need and colleagues that they need to be able to do things better um, and not just repeat the same mistakes over and over again. Kimberly, can you tell me how these results will change your thinking? And, you know, why is this so important to you personally, you know, that the industry gets this right? There's a couple of things that come to mind on how I can use these results um, to start to shift my own organization. One is just making them aware. So I definitely feel like there's a sense, whether it's my organization or others I've been a part of, that, you know, kind of digital is digital and that um, if digital, you know, doesn't work, um, it's because um customers aren't responding, not because we um, set up these initiatives um, with the best of intentions, but not in a way that optimizes or that would ensure a positive result. So I think just being able to share 
Um, we're in a small organization. We are very big on learning um, from others and from others' experiences. And we're also very big on piloting programs. So I think that that's a second thing that I see changing in my organization is um, how do we take um, those results, what we've learned over the last few years of trying to get similar initiatives off the ground and how do we pilot maybe not with, you know, every single patient or every single HCP um, audience that we have, but how do we start with one, show success uh, with the right KPIs and then move forward from there. And even though I work for a smaller organization now, we very much have, and I work in the antibiotic space, our CEO um, says a lot, if not us, then who? Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of organiz- a lot of bigger pharma um, have uh, moved away from antibiotics or from antibiotic manufacturers. There's only a few left, and so it really does fall to smaller organizations to really pick up the mantle for what I consider to be, you know, an extreme public health crisis. And if it's not for a small little company like mine and others, then who else is left to do this work? And so, because of that, I am extremely hopeful that we. Um, we'll continue to learn and grow um, and innovate in this space. Kimberly and John, thanks so much for speaking with me. That's it for this week. If you like this episode, please give it a thumbs up. Better yet, subscribe on your podcasting platform of choice and help others discover the show. The MMNM podcast is produced by Bill Fitzpatrick, Deborah Stahl, Bradley Weems, and Gordon Failer. Our theme music is by Sizzy M. Sohn. We're out every week. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.